to episode 16 of Short Box Summary. I'm your host, George. Joining me today, first time guest on the show. So excited. I've got my girlfriend, my partner, Aaliyah. Aaliyah, how's it going? Hi, it's going good. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you having deja vu right now? A little bit of deja vu. A little bit, yeah. Spoilers, we tried recording last night, but I, I let the echo run and it sounds real bad. So we're going back for round two, baby. Besides that, how you doing? Besides the, the deja vu. Good, I'm excited. My first podcast. Yeah, you just banged the first one out and you're like, you know what? Let's, we gotta do it again. Let's go back. I can I can do it better. I can do it tighter. Let's do this. I'm trying to think of the Kanye lyrics and I can't. It's a harder, better, faster, stronger. Harder. Okay. That's all right. Aaliyah, we're here today to talk about New Avengers from 2005, issues 7 through 10. This is a story called The Century. Yes. Right? And so I like to give a little bit of context to people when they come on the show. This issue, the first issue, issue seven, came out July 13th, 2005. Do you know where you were July 13th, 2005? I mean, it was a Wednesday, right? Because that's, that's comic book that day. That is new comic book day, yeah. You don't have to know for the day, but like just generally, what, what were you up to July 2005? I was at my parents' house. Sure, yeah. It was, it was the summer between 8th uh, grade and my freshman year of high school. Cool, cool. I couldn't drive yet, so limited range of activities in in the boonies where I grew up. Yeah, just go outside, count some, some pine cones in the backyard. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you and I actually come from very similar places, just far away from each other. Yeah. This came out this summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And this issue actually came out a couple days after my birthday. So I remember going to the comic book store on my birthday, grabbing it, being super excited. Because this was a weird, weird story. But to give you some more context, let's go to the box office, okay? Okay, let's see. Number one movie, Fantastic Four. The Chris Evans, Jessica Alba, Ione Gruffield, Michael Chiklis extravaganza i did not see it in theaters i don't believe but i've definitely seen the movie cool i might invite you on when we cover that movie because it is weird as hell to see chris evans be so horny and so young at the same time yeah that's fair yeah i'm also just a big fan of anything jessica alba yeah bad this was the day this was the day of like blue crush oh blue crush was so good it wasn't but goddamn do i love that movie Hey everyone, Future George here. Uh, we say uh, Blue Crush. We are wrong. Uh, the movie we're thinking of is Into the Blue with Jessica Alba and Paul Walker. That's that's on us. <laughs> that was number one. Number two was War of the Worlds, a Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg directed science fiction epic. Never saw it. I don't think it's particularly good, but I would like to revisit it to be completely honest. Number three, Batman Begins. You know I love Batman Begins. You unironically absolutely adore Batman Begins. I think it's my favorite of the Nolan trilogy. Is that what it's called? It is called that, yeah. And I know you like it. I know you got beef with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I think that's why I like Batman Begins so much because it's, uh, what's her face? Not Tom Cruise's wife. Katie Holmes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Number four, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the Brad and Angelina action film. Call them by their proper name. The Brangelina action film. Leaving Jennifer Aniston firmly in the rearview mirror until recently when he started talking to her at award shows and everyone got so excited. I mean, Ben Affleck and J-Lo got back together. What's stopping Brad and Jen? I mean, nothing, but exes can be friends. Sure, yeah. 
I mean, never in my life, but... But I'm sure other people are capable of, of doing that, I, yeah. I, here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number five, Herbie Fully Loaded, Lindsay Lohan. Uh, never saw it, but... Love to Lindsay Lohan always. Yeah. Also, let's be real. We're going into year two of the pandemic, year three of the pandemic. We might have time to have a couple glasses of wine and check out Herbie Fully Loaded. I'm sure it's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, but do we want to? I had a really good time revisiting Bendit Like Beckham. So <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not saying Herbie Fully Loaded is going to be as good and transcendental a film as Bendit Like Beckham. But we can hope. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. I know you like baseball a lot. Uh, July 13th, 2005, Boston was leading the AL East. They were up 49-38. Of course they were. Yeah, because they are coming off their World Series win. Uh, Baltimore was in second, 47-40. and 40. I, like, I know you say that, and it's probably true, but I still don't believe it. Yeah, it's hard to think of a time Baltimore was second in, in anything. anything. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, in baseball. In baseball. Baltimore is a wonderful city. It Great aquarium. It gave us the wire. Ooh, yeah. That's, I think, the best thing to come out of Baltimore. I've Definitely never, not the Orioles. I've never been to the ballpark, park, ballpark, uh, but it's Camden Fields, right? That's oh. what it's called. It looks really nice on TV. Yeah, it looks fine. As, as Sox fans, we see a lot of Orioles games. Yankees were in third, 46 and 40. Hate the Yankees. Yeah, fuck them. Uh, Toronto was fourth uh they were 44 and 44 cool 500 yeah it's pretty toronto and tampa bringing up the rear 28 and 61 which is weird because i think of them not quite like the patriots but probably like the san antonio spurs like they're always like in recent years i feel like they're always making noise like in the postseason you know or like always like a competent team to play against yeah that's fair and so it's weird to think of a time when they were the caboose um billboard top 100 Hit me. Mariah Carey, We Belong Together, number one. Still a classic. Yeah, absolute banger. Number two, Inside Your Heaven by Bo Bice. Don't know it. You might know this one. Number three, Inside Your Heaven by Carrie Underwood. Oh, is this American Idol? They were competing against each other. They were the final two contestants on that season of American Idol. Bo Bice, uh, his song released, I think, a week or two after Carrie Underwood's and overtook hers on the top 100. Which is weird, because I have no clue who the fuck Bo Bice is. Yeah, which stinks. I listened to it. It's not my cup of tea, but, like, the guy sounds talented enough where I feel like I should know a second song by Bo Bice. Yeah. Yeah. My girl Carrie, though. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, number four, shit was bananas. Penguin Stefani. Penguin Stefani, absolutely. Number five, Don't Funk With My Heart by the Black Eyed Peas. No, 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 no. Number six, Just a Little Bit by 50 Cent. Classic. Number seven, Behind These Hazel Eyes, Kelly Clarkson. I don't think that was like her first single. It was not, no. Her first big single was Miss Independent, but I think this was yes. the first one off her album that had, um... Since You've Been Gone! Yes. Yeah. I agree. Uh, number eight, Absolute banger, Don't You, by the Pussycat Dolls and Busta. I forgot Busta was on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but damn, that song's fun to turn up. Yeah, this is really good, like, 2000s party music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you just wait. It gets better. Number nine, Oh, by Ciara and Ludacris. Oh, Ciara. Number ten, Grind With Me by Pretty Ricky. And just for some further context, I'm doing this because I know, Aaliyah, you're not the closest to TV. 
you're not the closest to movies, but I know you absolutely love music. And so I'm doing this to give you a deeper context of like what your headspace was when this came out. Yeah, I mean, I was probably uh, downloading these songs on LimeWire illegally and making mixtapes to play in my little portable CD player. That feels right, yeah. This was absolutely the age of that, where you just... That and, like, making crushes mixtapes, mix CDs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I feel like I was kind of more into emo during this time. That was, like, my... I was dipping my toes in the in the emo scene. Oh, hold on a second. We're about to get there. This issue came out roughly six weeks after DHT's Listen to Your Heart started charting. Okay, okay. About five months after Howie Day's Collide. That song will always just give me the feels. He's from Brewer, Maine. He's You've been to his hometown. Brewer. Don't even know her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. This is three months after American Idiot by Green Day. Mm-hmm. Six weeks after As Good As I Once Was by Toby Keith, which means absolutely nothing to me, but I know you like country. Yeah, I just, I, I know that song. I just don't remember a time when that song was new. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that song has just always existed. Yeah, like it, it wasn't created, it was discovered, right? Like it was, it was always a part of our DNA, we just had to remember it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see, this was two weeks after These Words by Natasha Bedingfield. Oh, God. This was two weeks after Sugar We're Going Down by Fall Out Boy. Okay, now that's my jam. Yeah. That's like... I was definitely on the Fall Out Boy train. See, I was a sadder emo kid, so... Of course uh, you were. For me, it was one week after Helena, So Long and Good Night by My Chemical Romance started charting. I mean, I was also on that train. I, I ride multiple trains. Okay. <laughs> I do a couple transfers, yeah. <laughs> You can get across the entire city. Yeah, just just all you have to do, just stop at, you know, stop at the right junction, you'll be fine. All right. So now, do you feel like you're firmly in 2005? Yes, I'm in, I'm in the right headspace. Okay, cool. Well, now I think we can begin talking about New Avengers. First things first, this is the second story in this volume of New Avengers. It is called The Century, and it is all about the eponymous character, Bob Reynolds, a.k.a. The Century. Uh, for more information on some story stuff that'll be referenced uh, in their previous outing, please check out episode six of Shortbox Summary, which covers how this new group of Avengers came to be. And Aaliyah, before we even jump into the issue, I'm going to tell you, the Sentry is a weird character. The Sentry first appeared in a five-issue miniseries in the year 2000, and they basically lied to audiences. It, it starts with this character who wakes up in the middle of the night with dreams of who he used to be, right? Okay. And so his wife thinks he's like an, an alcoholic loser because, you know, he has a stash of something in a, in a book that he pulls out. And it turns out this isn't alcohol. It's actually the formula that makes him a superhero. I mean, it's kind of a shitty wife. But I, I get it. If I found you, like stashing a bottle of something in your underwear drawer yeah i'd be concerned yeah sure no i get that um and so basically this character was created and he was just like hey i've been around this entire time you've all forgotten about me let me remind you of who i am and the reason that's so dangerous is because there's a villain who only comes back once he uses his powers and so that was like the the table setting for this character he had a five issue miniseries and then he had five one shots where he would appear with all these different characters about past exploits, basically. Just talking about, like, how he was so important to all these characters. There was, like, a Spider-Man issue, an X-Men issue, a Hulk issue, and then uh, an issue where he actually fights his his arch-nemesis guy. And then the character mostly just disappeared after that. Like, was never really referenced again. Is that kind of, like, gaslighting? 
Yeah. No, that's actually, yeah, that's like... Where it's like, oh yeah, everyone knows this guy. And you're like, how the hell have I never heard of him before? Yeah. They explain why in this story. So that's why I'm like, I don't think you need to read that story. I think people listening might want to read that story because it's written by Paul Jenkins, who is a name that will come up later. Uh, But the art in the main series is by this artist named Jay Lee, who I absolutely adore. Like the way he draws that five issue miniseries, it feels almost like a horror comic. Super heavy black lines, almost like distorted anatomy. It's kind of unsettling. And then there's a whole bunch of guest artists on the uh, like flashback issues that are great. Like Bill uh, Sinkovitz is on the Hulk issue, and that is just like a haunting looking book. That guy's also kind of a horror artist. Um, but that is the idea of, of the century. And so <laughs> it's really funny that like this character all of a sudden appeared in their lives as like, hey, I've actually been here the entire time, and then disappeared. And now he's back again. And this is him sort of entering the Marvel Comics universe again. This is like me entering your life after knowing each other for 10 years and be like, actually, I've been reading comic books this entire time. This entire time, yeah. So uh, first question about the first issue, how have you not broken up with me yet for all the comic books that I own? Um, That's why we had to buy a house with a basement. Yeah. So we had somewhere to put all of your comic books because uh, our 400 square foot apartment in San Francisco was not cutting it. Yeah, and most importantly, basement, so they'd be out of sight. Oh, I mean, I didn't say that. Yeah, but you were really happy when I was like, oh, can I have the basement for storage? And you're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand percent, yes. I'm just kidding. You've always been very supportive of my ridiculous comic book buying habit, so. Which is why I didn't feel bad for bullying you into reading. Issue 7 of New Avengers. Let's jump into it. We open on the Manhattan skyline where Tony Stark is flying around in his brand new Extremis enhanced Iron Man armor, as discussed on episode 13 of Shortbox Summary. He's called by Spider-Woman, who tells him that one of the escaped convicts from the raft has been spotted outside of Long Island, and that she's heading over with a couple people to check it out. Tony asks how she's adjusting to her new life as a double agent for both the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. when she then shits all over S.H.I.E.L.D., saying this gig is so much better because she can't trust anyone over there, which is pretty funny, since someone from the shadows was giving her orders after infiltrating the new Avengers at the end of issue six, but I digress. So do we trust her? We don't know, because this is right after... Secret War by by Brian Michael Bendis and Gabrielle Delato. We also talked about that on this podcast. So if you're listening to this, please peer back into the feed to find it. And so we have no idea if it's Nick Fury talking to her or if it's someone else talking to her. I always love a, a double agent story. You do. I know how much you love Homeland. I love Homeland, Alias, Covert Affairs, any kind of a spy TV show movie. You'll I watch a-, a lot of bad TV just to get that spy <laughs> fix. No offense to Covert Affairs. You know how much I love Piper Parabo. Oh, that show is awful, but like... Scratches a lot of itches. But I need it. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Iron Man says goodbye and lands at some shady old abandoned toy factory that used to be a Stark subsidiary, and inside he meets with Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, Professor Charles Xavier of the X-Men, Blackagar Boltagon, a.k.a. Black Bolt of the Inhumans, Namor, King of Atlantis, and the astral projection of Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth. Aaliyah, how many of these characters did you know? I know Doctor Strange pretty well. Okay. Uh, from the movies. I was like, oh, are you guys, like, texting? Like, is it... We go back. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a first name basis. Yeah, Steven. He lets me call him Steve. I hate, yeah, he doesn't seem like a Steve guy to me, but... Because he spells a PH, so if anything, it'd be, like, Steph. Like, Steph Curry. 
Steven with a PH can like shorten to Steve with a V. Okay. I, I was unaware of that. I thought that's why he went by Steph Curry instead of a... No, I think Steph Curry is just one of a kind. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I vaguely familiar with uh, Fantastic Four guy. Yeah, I never shut up about the Fantastic Four, so that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Professor X. Yeah, Chucky. Yeah. <laughs> My second favorite Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Chucky McAvoy, number one. <laughs> yeah. Go bees, go Bruins, baby. Uh, and then the other two, no idea. I mean. The Namor, is yeah. that his name? He kind of looks like a like a jacked Spock from Star Wars. That's a, gr- uh, Star Trek, but yeah. Star Trek, sorry. Yeah. Not um, a nerd here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forgive me. Yeah, it's amazing how much cooler you are than me, actually. Um, that sounded ironic. I don't mean that ironically <laughs> at all. It's 100% true. Uh, I totally see that, yeah. Actually, the person I want to play Namor in the MCU is Henry Golding. Okay, but hear me out. Okay. Zachary Quinto. Okay. 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 I'm watching Heroes right now. So. Also, I mean, that's the guy who played Spock in the Star Trek movies. I know. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was like subconscious projection. I'm like, Aaliyah, let me blow your mind. No, I know that. Okay. Uh, but I also think it's a good choice. Those eyebrows, man. Yeah. I just want to see Henry Golding in more things. Um, so he's the king of Atlantis. He is half Atlantean, half human. Super, super incredibly strong. One of the oldest heroes, actually, the Marvel Universe. Like he was actually being printed in the in the thirties, like from oh, the wow. from the golden age of Marvel. So is he's, this like Atlantis, Lost City, Atlantis? One okay. in, one in the same, yeah. So that's Namor, and then the other guy, Black Bolt. Uh, that is the King of the Inhumans, which is like a group of people who were experimented on thousands of years ago by Kree soldiers because they were trying to make like genetic super weapons in their war against the Skrulls. And his people became so powerful, they were able to like sort of hide away and like protect themselves. They did not get wrapped up in the war. And he is king of those people. And his power is basically he can't talk. Like if he speaks, even a whisper could like destroy a mountain, completely shatter rock and stone. Like if he screamed, he could probably tear apart the entire Eastern seaboard. Like that's how powerful he is. I feel like there's a thing of having too much power, and that might be it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, we might talk about this in an upcoming episode, but there's like a spinoff miniseries called Silent War, where it's basically the Inhumans in a secret war against the U.S. government. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Sorry, I wasn't really paying attention to what you were saying. I was thinking, like, is he where mimes come from? He is not where mimes come from. They come from France, silly. <laughs> He's, he's from Adelan. That's on the moon. Okay, France moon, same thing. No, I do think it's really interesting, though, just to have a character who can't speak in a completely visual medium like comics. I, I think that is really interesting. And so uh, in our previous uh, dress rehearsal podcast, you asked, like, how does he talk? How does he communicate? He has a wife named Medusa who has, like, ultra-powerful crazy hair that's, like, psychokinetic. So, like, she same can, girl. She, same. she can control every strand of her hair and, like, basically, like punch the Hulk out like with her hair like that's how strong she is and she basically just like infers from like different intonations from different body language like what Black Bolt is thinking and so that's usually how he communicates to his uh his subjects over there in Adeline but those are those characters um they're basically like the the heaviest hitters of their respective fields like Iron Man is like the extension of the Avengers Mr. Fantastic represents the Fantastic Four. Doctor Strange represents the uh, supernatural and, and 
surreal stuff, I guess, of the Marvel Universe. Namor represents the oceans, which is 70% of the planet. Black Bolt the Inhumans. Um, and Weird that he only gets one spot and it's like 70% of the planet. Yeah. Just... Also, uh, just looking at this, lacking diversity. It's a pretty white room. It seems it... like an old boys club. Yeah. Uh, but it also seems like I've never really seen Iron Man like answer to people before. And it feels like he's at least sees this group as equals, if not people he kind of has to explain himself to. Yeah, that's actually, that's a super, super great point. Um, the MCU kind of twisted some things around when it came to to Tony Stark. He was like a seedless character before the movies came out. Like, Robert Downey Jr. owns Iron Man. And every comic writer, I don't think, is like doing a Tony Stark impression when they, when they write him. I think they're doing a Robert Downey Jr. impression. And so, like, he became king shit because of Robert Downey Jr. Okay, but I feel... I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is fantastic. Yeah. Like, he does such a good job at, like, becoming Iron Man. Yeah. So, like, in my mind, I mean, obviously, I didn't read comics before seeing the movies, mm -hmm. but it's hard to see Iron Man as anything other than Robert, Robert Downey. Downey Jr. Um, 100%. And, in fact, since the movies came out, it's hard to see a comic where he's anything but Robert Downey Jr., for good or for worse, like, that's, that's up to you. I, I personally don't mind. I just think it's, like, fun to have, like, a snarty character so i don't mind it but other people probably a little little more tired of that but i don't know but also yeah where are the ladies you're not gonna see ladies in this group um lame yeah unfortunately uh this group is i'm gonna ahead of myself here this is a group called the illuminati it's basically like the secret hidden order of the marvel comics universe and so this is much like the century, like another thing that has been like retroactively placed where it's just like, oh, hey, we have this group. We've been meeting for years. It's like, well, actually, this is the first time they've ever appeared is in this issue. I love that kind of storytelling, though, of like going back and like exposing something that like affected what you know in the past. Yeah. Like, be like, oh, you think you know what happened? Well, actually. Yeah, I'm going to be like Eve. Let me blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, upon entering this room, Namor is immediately pissed off that he wasn't told there was going to be a new group of Avengers. Reed, Reed is concerned that Tony can't afford it. Charles is happy because he's talked to Logan, Wolverine, and he thinks there needs to be a team. And Black Bolt is silent because, like I said, even his whisper could bring down a mountain. He explains, Tony explains, that he's doing this really because Steve wants to, one, Steve Rogers being Captain America, and because he feels like it's the right thing to do, two immediately everyone starts asking a million questions. And it feels kind of like when you hook up with someone and your friends immediately <laughs> ask if it's serious, are you happy, but you're a cat person and they're a dog person. Like, what are you going to do? Whose apartment are you going to move into? She lives uptown and you like downtown. Yeah, and like, it can't take the subway that late. You know, just all this like random stuff where he's like, bro, like we got, like we formed a week ago. We've done exactly one thing together. And it was kind of an emergency thing. Are guys like that? Because girls are like that. Um, I mean, these guys are like that. <laughs> okay, but... Yeah, they're fictional. I get yeah. it. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't really talk to people. I record a podcast with, like, the same four people. You have more friends than I do, so... Yeah. Yeah. Because I record a podcast. <laughs> Maybe I need to start a podcast. You should. All about the Red Sox. Actually, uh, Sean is, like, a, a an Orioles fan if you want to start an AL East cast. I just... Manny Machado's off the team, so it's easier to talk about the Orioles now. 
That's fair. That That is fair. Yeah. I just don't know if I have uh, the energy to keep up with Major League Baseball this year. I mean, they're, it's a delayed season, so that's not... Yeah, help. but they're still doing 162 games and... Fuck me, are they really? Yeah. But with like a month less, month and a half less? Yeah, it's gonna be... Oh, that sucks. Is, is it gonna go into November? I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna do it. Oh, that's... I haven't really paid attention because I was so pissed out about the, the lockout. Yeah, Manfred. And Manfred's a piece of shit, right? Yeah. Is that the official stance of the podcast that that Manfred's a piece of <laughs> that shit? That is my entire podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you hate more, Manfred or Goodell? I mean, probably Manfred because I actually care about baseball. Yeah, I mean, if I were a Cowboys fan, I probably wouldn't care about football as much either. So I get that. <laughs> yeah. You get it. Yeah, and so <laughs> listeners of Frameskip Podcast who wonder why we talk about football so much on that podcast, it's because I, I live with someone who likes to talk about football and baseball. It's fucking awesome. I really recommend it. Um, okay, back to the comic. Sorry. We digress. We digress. Uh, Tony admits that he can't rent out a new office space he's built because people there are afraid they'll be attacked by space aliens, which totally happens in like two and a half years in a story called Secret Invasion. And uh, Reed immediately asks why here and not Chicago. He says stuff like, oh, we talked about spreading the wealth of heroes so they weren't all in New York, which totally comes up again in Civil War. Um, we'll cover those stories eventually on this podcast. Don't worry about it. But I like the, the foreshadowing that happens there. Uh, finally, after formalities, Tony brings up what he really wants to talk about. He says, quote, who of you knows who the century is? Because we might have a really big problem here. Which feels like an oh shit moment. This is like a dun dun dun. Yeah. Did you get that? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is your first comic book, so I wasn't sure if you... I don't want to sound kind of saying, but just like understanding like the pacing. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to... A, figure out how to read a comic book. Mm -hmm. uh, because my boyfriend didn't tell me how. God, he sucks. Yeah. Uh, what an asshole. Yeah. Um, and to figure out the pacing... Uh, the font is really small. Uh, that hurts my eyeballs. That makes you sleepy? Not really sleepy. Uh, subtitles on movies makes me sleepy. That's why I can't watch anime late at night. Poor thing. I fall asleep. Um, but yeah, figuring out the pacing was difficult. Um, I'm a historically fast reader, or I try to be, so I tried to slow myself down and actually, A, look at the pictures, because that's not something I'm used to, mm -hmm. and B, uh really slow down and take in the text in conjunction with the pictures to really figure out the whole story. It's a new medium for me, so it was a little bit of a learning curve. It's really funny you say that, because when this book was coming out, I thought, like, art was really cool, but I cared way more about, like, the plot moving forward. You know, like, that was what I really cared about. I wanted that. I wanted, like, smart-sounding dialogue. The older I get, I, the less I care about the plot and, like, the stories. I'm like, none of this matters. Like, they're going to undo any decision that I think is bad. They're going to undo it within a year. Like, it, nothing matters in comics. Like, it's it's kind of low stakes like that. Which is why I want to focus on this era of Marvel, because I think this era of Marvel is actually, like, super high stakes. So are you saying you care more about the art than the I plot? care way more about the art now. Like, it's gotten to the point where it's just, like, I will buy the dumbest sounding idea for a comic if I like the artist on it. I feel like... You're like this with, like, movies, too. Whereas I want a good plot, good dialogue, and you're like, well, that shot was beautiful. I do care about cinematography a lot more now than I used to. Like, yeah. it, used to it used to, like, blow me away, but I did, like, really care about, like, yeah, exactly. Narrative, plot design, like, pacing, all that stuff. I really cared about that. But now, like, I just want to be wowed with, like, lighting and, like, sound design. Like, no, give me the juicy drama. Yeah. The plot line. 
Give me the surprises. That's what I'm here for. I Maybe I'm just unrefined. See, I want Wes Anderson to direct everything. Oh, God. I, hey, you liked Grand Budapest. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, but I don't want that to be everything I see. Oh, uh, fine. What about music videos? Good music videos, right? Sure. Okay. All right. Um, cut away. We are now on Long Island where someone named Dirk Garthwaite lingers over some teenage girl laying by the pool at a mansion and he asks for his stuff back. Turns out this girl's dad is a collector of rare items in the Marvel <laughs> Universe and leads Dirk into a vault that has a whole bunch of superhero paraphernalia in a trophy room. It's got wings of the vulture, a cracked helmet of Mysterio, horns of the rhino, the Shocker's costume and bands, all this crap. It feels kind of like Chris Cooper's character in American Beauty when he had all those Nazi plates hidden in his garage. Have you seen American Beauty? I have not. Okay, we should watch it. That's a really good movie. Okay. Super fucked up. Super weird. Actually, can we watch it? It's got Kevin Spacey. Ooh. Uh, tough sell, yeah. Uh, this also just reminded me of um, the Hawkeye TV show where they were at like, the auction for yeah, like, yeah. real memorabilia yeah, that's, superheroes. That's a great call, yeah. Like, where do they get these things? Like, mm -hmm. that's where my mind went. Yeah. I mean, you have to assume that, like, you know, Shocker gets arrested or whatever, and some cop misplaces, like, the stuff in holding or whatever. Whoopsie. Yeah, and then just, like, sells it, just to, like, make an extra buck or two. Like, that that makes sense. Or millions. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's all relative in the Marvel Universe. It's all fake money anyway. Money's all, not real. All money's fake, but especially in comic books, <laughs> money is super fake. Um, this teenage girl admits that her dad puts them on and acts out events, and this dumb, small detail feels like a real postmodern take where normal people of the Marvel Universe are dealing with a psychosis from living in a shared world of superheroes and villains. Anyways, Dirk gets what he's looking for, a crowbar that he holds way too lovingly. Did he need, like, that specific crowbar? Could he just, like, go to an auto body shop and uh, find a crowbar? Oh, Aaliyah, he needed that specific crowbar. What, did he, like, make love to no, it? No, he didn't make love to it. No, he's not dating the crowbar. It turns out this dude is the Wrecker, a member of a team called the Wrecking Crew, who basically have all this, like, construction equipment, all these tools that have been enchanted by divine Asgardian powers, <laughs> not unlike Thor's hammer. Um, he's super fucking gross to this teenager in a bikini and tries to get her to drive him out of the city. She has no idea who the hell this guy is, and that's because, frankly, I personally think the Wrecking Crew are lame as hell. I mean... A, the misogyny. Not great. Not great. But also, like, he's a bad guy. Yeah, so, so like, if, if there's going to be misogyny anywhere, it better be coming out of the supervillain's mouth. Yes. I don't want to see Spider-Man being a dick. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, also, her not knowing who he was was a lot to me, like, uh, Gen Z, like, not knowing who Paul McCartney was when he partnered with Kanye. Oh, yeah. And they were just like, oh, man. Paul McCartney's really lucky that Kanye, like, helped him out like this. It's like... He's wow. gonna blow up now. Yeah, well, it's like, what, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, that, that's what came to mind. It's uh, just weird that you're saying this through a device that also has Google. Yeah. Like, that's the weird part. Um, yeah, but I think she doesn't know who he is because I think the Wrecking Crew suck. I think Marvel actually has, like, kind of a big problem with villains where it's, like, there's a bunch of, like, A-list heavy hitters like Galactus and, like, Thanos and Annihilus and, like... You don't even know who an Eyeless is. So, no, like, but he, I know Thanos. Yeah, so like, I'm, like that's the thing. Like, I think he's an A-lister, but like, you don't even know who he is. Granted, he hasn't been in a movie. I know Green Goblin. 
Okay, that's the other category of villains. I guess there's three. There's like the A-list heavy hitters, like the actual like oh shit, my, like I just shit my pants villains, and then there's like the fan favorites, like Green Goblin, mm-hmm. like the Shocker, you know, like all these things. Like if you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, for, I forgot about yeah that. Um, so there's that, and then there's just like everyone else. There's just so much riffraff in the Marvel universe, and the Wrecking Crew have like. A history of like you know tangoing with like some some like big name heroes, but like they literally just exist to get the shit kicked out of them. Yeah, because I don't know necessarily where we are in the story, but he kept bringing up about how he had fought Thor and basically had a draw with Thor. Yeah, and it's like, buddy, you're hanging on to this one thing that you did that one time. Yeah, it's like you're a are you a soccer team? Why do you care so much about a tie? <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he tries to convince a teenage girl to drive him out of the city, and uh, as they pull out of the garage, they're met by Luke Cage, Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Spider-Woman. A fight breaks out, and everyone's giving their best, but the Wrecker is no joke. He's actually very strong. I think he sucks, but he's very, very powerful. Uh, he reminds them, like you said, that he can fight Thor to a tie, and he proceeds to kick everyone's ass as much as they're kicking his ass. He keeps commenting how hot Spider-Woman looks in her costume while throwing Luke Cage through cars and kicking Wolverine all over suburbia. Meanwhile, out in the Nevada desert, Maria Hill and a S.H.I.E.L.D. team are met by Iron Man and Captain America, who she reluctantly allows into a nearby cave. In there is Bob Reynolds, the Sentry, the dude from the last story who grabbed Carnage, flew him up into space, ripped him in literal half, and left him floating in Earth's orbit. He's cowering in the cave, telling Cap and Iron Man they need to leave because someone named the Void is coming. He explains it best. So here's a quote. I used my powers to save you and, and your friends. I, 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 I was weak and I saved you and now I will pay the price. When I use my powers of a million exploding suns, I unleash a blackness across the world. He comes and attacks the world every time I try to save it. That is his purpose. It killed my wife. I killed my wife. It killed and it keeps coming and coming. Iron Man brings someone in to see the Sentry, and it's his wife, Lindy. She's alive! Sentry is in disbelief, but it doesn't stop there. Iron Man brings in another guest. Paul Jenkins, a comic book writer who created the Sentry in our world. He was the actual comic book author in our real world who created the Sentry. And he exists in the Marvel Universe now, having created the Sentry. So this leaves Iron Man to ask, like... Here's the dude who created you, so, like, who are you really? And that's the end of issue seven of New Avengers. What'd you think? Your very first comic book ever, what'd you think? Um, I have more questions than answers. Whew, that's a good first issue to, uh, to a comic book arc, then. <laughs> that's how they get you to come back the, the next month and the month after. All right. Has it ever happened before where they, like, reference a comic book writer in a comic book? Like, I'm guessing... Paul Jenkins didn't write this. Paul Jenkins did not write this. Brian Michael Bendis just loves the writer Paul Jenkins, and also Paul Jenkins happened to create the century, so. Okay. All right. I like the... The bro love, yeah. Yeah. And, like, the story within a story. Yeah. Um, Nesting dolls. Yes. Yes. Um, at this point, my mind was kind of like, right, was this guy created from this comic book, or... Was this comic book a reflection of his life? Like, which came first? When I was reading this, I had no idea. Because I did not read the Century miniseries. 
that okay. came out in 2000. So I had no idea if this guy was born out of fiction, if this guy was a real person and shit was just weird. I had no idea what was going on. And like, did he kill his wife? I don't know. Lindy's right there. But like, how do we know that's not the void fucking with him? You know, like there's all these questions you can ask. Is that an imposter? Is that a fake Lindy? Is it? A figment of his imagination. Like, there's so many options. There are so many options. And it's a comic book, so you know everything's on the fucking table. Because comics get weird. I think that's why I like them so much. They're not afraid to get real stupid with their storytelling. I mean, I get it. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's move on. Issue number eight of New Avengers, August 3rd, 2005. Mm -hmm. The first page of this book is drawn like a 1960s comic with faded coloring, stilted dramatic poses that look more like Greek pottery art than the way anyone actually stands or runs, and a weird shifting horizon line that really messes with perspective. The credits are to Paul Jenkins and Sal Buscema, two real-life, real-in-our, non-fictional-world comic book professionals. The title intro at the top explains the century like this. Quote, when mild-mannered Robert Reynolds took an experimental serum, it created a phase shift in his molecules, giving him amazing powers, that of a million exploding suns. Robert has vowed to use his powers for good, championing the world as the brightest star in the Marvel Universe, the Sentry. Which is exactly how old 1960s comics were written, you know, talking about a gamma bomb turning the Hulk, or Bruce Banner into the Hulk, cosmic rays turning the Fantastic Four, or sorry, turning all those people into the Fantastic Four. Um, but it continues, like, we're getting, like, a 1960s-style comic. He's fighting off a Skrull invasion in the teaser page, flying around Manhattan, saying hi to Thor in the next panel, stopping a bank robbery led by the Void in the next. Everything is super 60s aesthetic. We pull back, and we see Bob Reynolds in the cave looking at these books, unable to understand exactly what's happening. When Cap says, quote, These comic books are the only thing we could find in the entire world that even mentions the century. And they're just comic books. This man here, he writes them. We brought him here to show you what we see as the century. Something is off here. We want to help you connect the dots because we've seen your powers. We know you're real. We also brought your wife as well. See, we know who Bob Reynolds is, but we can't figure out who or what the century is. Uh, I'm also getting a little bit of like uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway. Castaway. Yeah. Like, just like. How long has he been like this? Like this. Is that, he That's a great question. I mean, is he suffering a psychotic break? What's What's going on? That's a great question. And again, it's a comic book, so literally everything's on the table. Also like it's got to be really weird reading a comic book about yourself. Yeah, that's got to be off. Yeah, that's that's got to be strange. And like at this point, does he know he have power? He has powers? He seems to know he has powers, but he's scared to use them, because if he uses them, then the Void comes, and he is fucking terrified of the Void. I mean, that's fair. The Void is, like, fucking scary. Yeah. Um. Alright. That's just gotta be weird, like, looking at, like, a photo album of yourself, being like, how did you know these things about me? Yeah, that's, that's pretty messed up. Uh, they address that later in the story. But it is incredibly messed up, regardless. Explanation aside, still got to be fucked, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, next page flashes back to a week ago, and Iron Man is on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, giving Logan 
the cell on the Avengers, but he's not interested because he's had a rough go of it. He mentions the Hydra thing, and that's one of my favorite Wolverine <laughs> stories of all time. And we're absolutely going to cover that on the show. I've lined up two very special guests to talk about that story with. Who? Who? Um, some Twitter friends. Ooh. Yeah, new guests. And uh, there might be a, f- a format change for that show, too. I'm testing some things out. So I like it. And I look forward to that. Um, but basically, uh, short version, Logan was brainwashed by Hydra to take out a bunch of VIPs in the hero community. Uh, so, like, he was, like, sneaking into, like, For Freedom Plaza to, like, murder Reed Richards. You hate to see it. Yeah, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Um, but then uh, he gets free. Like, his mind gets released from, like, the Hydra control. And he goes on an all-out revenge mission against Hydra. And it ends with, like, a sword fight against this really fucking cool new villain that I really like. Uh, it's 12 issues of Awesome from Wolverine, the, the volume from 2003. It's issues 20 to 31. It's by Mark Millar and John Romita Jr. Cannot recommend that book enough. If you don't want to wait for the episode, I don't blame you. Uh, Tony tries to be like, hey man, I've been through some bad shit too. But he doesn't ever level with him about what bad shit he was talking about. And it was alcoholism. Like, um, Tony was like a pretty famous alcoholic. He had this one story called Demon in a Bottle. Um, Message in a bottle. Yeah, like that. That's uh, actually what Xtina wrote about. Okay. It's not about it's not about a sexual awakening. It's about Tony Stark's uh, repressed alcoholism. So many more things make sense now. Yeah, right. Um, Just rub it the right way. I get Tony's trying to like, I don't know, create a connection between it them. Fe- it feels like in the TV shows, like when a teacher like turns a chair backwards and just like, hey man, let me level with you, you know. We're- we're both the same. Yeah, we're friends, right? Uh, but it's, like, really not fucking the same at all. It's really not, no. Um, especially we talked about, like, how Wolverine really feels about his mind wipes on previous episodes. And he always says, like, they raped me. Like, they took advantage of my body. They took me out of control of my body. Like, that's how he feels about it. So, like, we know it's a really heavy sore subject for Wolverine. Yeah, and to, like, kind of equate that to alcoholism, which is... Like, an addiction and a demon. And, and an issue, yeah. And an issue in itself. Um, I just don't think they're really on the same playing field because I feel like what happened to Wolverine was, like, something that happened to him. Yeah. Um, And not that, you know, addiction is not a disease, but, like, I just, I feel like they're a little bit different. They are a little bit different. And also, he didn't even tell him that he was an alcoholic. He just said he's had bad shit. Hey, man, I relate. And it's like, that doesn't really hold any water with me. Yeah, that that doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, Wolverine is shocked that Tony wants him to join the Avengers at all when he finally says why. Quote, I just can't help but think if we were a different type of team then. A little more realistic in the ways of the world. Less naive. Things could have gone a different way. We would know where Thor is. People would still be alive. Wanda would have had a chance. He's, of course, referring to Avengers Disassembled, which we covered on episode two of... Of shortbox summary, which really kicked off this whole era of Marvel, and uh, Thor it disappeared. It, it, like Thor's tie-in to Avengers Disassembled was called Ragnarok. I don't think it's a very good story. I think it's got a good writer. I think it's got a great artist. I love uh, Andre Devito who, who drew it. Um, however, I don't think it's just like a very entertaining story. And uh, Marvel agrees because they didn't have a Thor comic for a couple years. I think it Thor didn't come back until like two thousand six or two thousand seven. So. Uh, if you want to check that out, check that out. Uh, if you just want the the broad strokes of Avengers Assemble, please check out episode two of Shortbox. Uh, jump forward to today, and Wolverine is getting his ass thrown <laughs> through a dumpster. 
Spider-Woman is talking uh, to Dirk Garthwaite saying she just wants to help him. She's talking to the record saying like, hey man, I just want to help. I'm just here for you. And he's having none of it. He's also wrecked her entire team. So I get why he's confident saying like, we don't need to talk. I'm winning. Like everything's great. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the desert, Lindy starts talking to Bob saying she thought he left her. He's been gone for weeks. Bob still can't believe she isn't dead. He saw her die. He gets angrier and angrier until he explodes in a flash of light and he's gone from the cave entirely. The next page has a man who looks an awful lot like Bob, except without the beard, without the long hair, without the costume. He casually wakes up, makes a breakfast sandwich, and sits down to watch the morning news. Meanwhile, Spider-Woman, through conversation, has completely de-escalated the situation with the Wrecker. She's playing like a kind of therapist and really putting his life into perspective for him, making him question what he wants. Turns out that was a diversion. When Logan and Luke come falling out of the sky and fucking this dude up, Spider-Woman then grabs his crowbar and swings at his jaw (laughs) like she's David Ortiz, Big Poppy. And before you know it, the dude is webbed up and detained and busted all to hell. Wolverine asks her what she did and she shrugs it off, but he says something is different. And it turns out part of her powers is releasing a pheromone when she's charged up or nervous that makes anyone around her attracted to her. There's a moment of silence with all the men, and the guys are finally like, oh, thank God, I love my wife, but you were driving me crazy. You gotta warn us about that shit, man. Like, you can't just do that. Women. Women. What did you think of that moment? Was that a funny moment? Uh, I thought that was a funny moment. That was like a nice break in a lot of the seriousness happening. Yeah. Happening. Um, I also... I think it kind of explains how she was able to talk him down. That, and I think it also, I'm not defending the wrecker, but I think it also explains why he was constantly talking about how attractive she was. You know, not, I'm sure he's a misogynist piece of shit, in addition to being manipulated by her pheromonic power. I think both can be true. Yes. Um, Also, like, where can I get me some of those pheromones? That's a great question. Um, she was experimented on by ex-Nazi scientists. Uh-huh. So if you know any of those, I'd hit them up. I mean, not personally, but I feel like it's like like Google's. Dark web. Yeah. yeah. All, everything's on the dark web. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah. Uh, immediately after they detain the record, Tony Stark calls them and tells them there's an Avengers 5 alarm fire happening. And they need to get to Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> pronto. Yeah, I mean, that's not in the comic, but that's basically what happens, yeah. It's in, that was in my head. It's, imp- it's implied, yeah. Um, I do want to say I love the jumping around between time and space. Yeah. With, like, oh, last week, here's a little bit of backstory about what happened with Wolverine and, like, jumping between, was it Arizona? That, okay, that's actually, that's like a faux, that was, that was a, a typo that happened in the book, because the first issue hasn't taken place in Nevada, and then the... Next issue has it taking place in Arizona. So I think they just really? I think they just forgot where they were supposed to be. But How are things like that overlooked by I, like a company to the like the, the size and scale of, of Marvel? Yeah. That, that's a great question. Um I mean I get it. Mistakes happen. Mistakes totally do happen. But I thought that was kind of funny. Oh yeah, it is Nevada. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's funny, right? And then it's Arizona then it's Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, I told you. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm a copywriter and a copy editor. I notice those things. Irregardless. Irregardlessly. Uh, I like the jumping between different storylines. I don't love when things are always yeah. continuous. Um, so that was really interesting to me as 
a first-time comic reader, that type of storytelling tool. I didn't know these could be fun. I didn't say that. I didn't know these could. <laughs> I, I didn't know these could be fast-paced. I thought we were just gonna hang out in the same space all day. Also, when they jump to Bob Reynolds, like at home, this, I guess it is. Yeah. Is that like in his mind, or is that like he in a physical? house is that the same house he lived in with his wife like that is i think a different house than he lived in with his wife it's super confusing i'm not gonna pretend it's not it's very very convoluted i think it makes sense by the end but only if you don't examine every small piece of it like okay. like don't squint too hard you i know? overthink everything so yeah um so we cut back to bob at home whichever home that is his little weird bachelor pad Dozing off on the couch, uh, he is woken up by Emma Frost, the lead psychic of the X-Men and the headmistress of the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. She wakes him up, tells him he's in grave danger and he needs to go outside. Uh, out there, he is met by the new Avengers, the astonishing X-Men, Namor, a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier with dozens of agents, and Doctor Strange. Seeing all the heroes gathered, Bob breaks down, saying, how could you? This is what he wanted. I was trying to protect you. Now the void is coming. Yeah. And then Cap's there and he's like, we just want to help. And it's like, dude, there's like 20 people there. That's like kind of intimidating. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to process. Cause this looks like the, like the, like the whole Calvary. Like this looks like the entire Marvel universe on your front yard. And like, Kind of feels like an intervention, but I feel like an intervention is just supposed to be, like, close family and friends. But this is, like, a bunch of people you don't really know and probably have looked up to. It's tough because, like, I think he knows them, but I don't think they know him. That's the confusing part about this story. Yeah, super complicated. (laughs) Super duper complicated. Uh, Issue 9, August 24th, 2005. This issue opens... A day earlier with Tony talking to Namor, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, Black Bolt, and Professor X, the Illuminati, trying Boys Club, trying to discuss the century, but no one has any idea who that is. Uh even Reed, who allegedly sent Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson to see him at the raft back in issue one of New Avengers, has no idea what Tony is talking about. Uh completely confused, Reed pulls out a little it's a smartphone. Like, like we don't have the word for a smartphone yet, but it is, in fact, a smartphone. It looks kind of like a sidekick. It's like, I feel like more like a tablet. It looks like a sidekick and like a label maker had a baby. You know I love my label maker. I know you love your label maker. I know you also... I got a soft spot for sidekicks. I never had one. I didn't either, but my roommate in college did, and I thought it was super cool. Uh... So he uh, searches every single file on record for the century, and over 1,200 things show up, of which Reed has no recollection. Professor X chimes in and says, Doctor, if I may, I think someone has been tampering with your brain without your permission. Super messed up. That's really messed up. Super duper messed up. Not great. Also, uh- I feel like this is like when you, uh, you know, you, know, when you, like, you drive somewhere that you've driven a million times, and you get there, and you're like... I don't remember driving here. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like a little bit of that of like, okay, well, I know I did it. I clearly did it. Yeah. There's yeah. there's no other way that this happened other than I did it, but, mm-hmm. but I don't remember it. Yeah, that's a great point. 
Uh, jump forward to today, and all Bob has time to say is he's here. When every superhero is grabbed by this ominous black energy and immediately fucking rocked. Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman, projects a force field around Reed, Emma, and Bob. Doctor Strange casts a magical incantation around that force field. And Tony has created another energy field around them. They're completely protected. Emma says, quote, Usually under this kind of physical attack, I would gleefully use my abilities to unlock your mind for you. But in your case, it's obviously too dangerous. You need to let me in. You have to do this. Reed chimes in, saying that Bob needs to stop what he's doing to the heroes, and Bob is completely lost. Reed then says, uh, buddy, you told me you can stop this. Not really, but I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> he pulls a video screen out of a suitcase that fucking, of course, has the Fantastic Four logo on it, and he shows Bob a recording, a confessional that Bob made and sent to Reed. It's super long. It goes over the course of like three pages, but here are the most important parts of the monologue that he recorded to himself. I have these cycles I go through where the memories of who I am and who I used to be bubble up and churn on each other. My powers come and go, but then I have this moment of clarity, like now, where I know exactly who I am, who I was, who the century is, and who my friends were before it all turned bad. And then poof, it's gone. And I'm just some schlub sitting in front of the TV with fuzzy dreams of a hero's life. Maybe I'm trying to stop myself from being the century by attacking myself with this boogeyman. The Void. It's me. I'm the Void. Worse yet, maybe I just don't have the emotional and physical strength to control the powers I have. If you can't fix this, please, I'm begging you, toss me into the negative zone. And if by some miracle I'm watching this with you and I'm babbling on and on about the void and all that, listen to me, Bob. Shut up and let them do whatever they have to do to stop this. I want to go home. Heavy. Heavy shit. That's like real messed up. Yeah, he is just completely out of control of his own body, his own psyche. He like doesn't know what's real, doesn't know when it's real. He has moments of of happiness, moments of clarity, and then it's just gone. And then he's just a shell, like probably the most powerful shell. Like he he's probably the most powerful hero in the Marvel universe. He is basically created to be Marvel's version of Superman. I feel like this is. Kind of like someone with, like, Alzheimer's or dementia um, experiencing, like, moments of clarity and, like, actually remembering who they are. And then just kind of, like, slipping back into the disease and yeah. not really knowing when or where they are. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that has to be heartbreaking for anyone to see and, and ex like, experience, but, like, never mind, like him going through it and experiencing it and like trying to memorialize his lucid thoughts when he's lucid you're right i mean like good on him for being able to like have that wherewithal to record a video to himself because that's the only way he would believe what he's saying yeah it's a little 51st dates ish right Ooh, yeah yeah yes also yes. another great movie that i don't know if you've seen called memento by chris nolan starring guy pierce have not seen it. He has, like, memory issues, and, like, he has to, like, use, um, what's that, uh, camera called? Polaroid? Yeah, he has to use old Polaroids to, uh, piece, piece his life together. Also, we, we've got dogs. You might hear dogs in the background. Sorry. Just they're like, adorable. They're so cute. You would forgive them. Yeah, check us out on Twitter. Check out, uh, at PurpleBird616 to, to check out some cute dogs. Meanwhile... The heroes keep fighting these gnarly cosmic horror monsters and they're getting their asses kicked. 
Bob finally agrees to let Emma do whatever she has to do and opens his mind to her. All of a sudden, they're in a white room looking at a wall that's projecting every single memory Bob has ever had. And Emma tells him this is his life, and he's dealing with a tough sitch of repressed memories. She can understand that he's repressing his own memories, but she is so confused as to how she's repressing the entire world's memories about him. They examine his origin, and again, it looks like a 1960s super-saturated four-color comic. Even Emma's like, why the fuck does it look like this, man? Bob says this isn't right. This isn't how it happened. In another panel, Bob looks like a photograph that's been meticulously watercolored. That's actually from the Century miniseries. That was the photo that Peter Parker took of the Century in that miniseries and won a Pulitzer Prize for. Good for him. Except Bob made everyone forget, so he had to give back that Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> oh, that sucks. It does suck. But it goes to show that, like, with the Century around, everyone's life was, like, at least marginally better. Like, Peter was a more successful photographer. Reed Richards had someone he could, like, go around with who challenged him, who was, like, as adventurous and as smart as him. Uh, the Hulk actually considers him, like, his best friend. He was, like, the only one who gave the Hulk, like, a chance. Like, he actually lived with him. It seems like he's a really good guy. Yeah. And it sucks that, like, the worst shit happens to the best people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, it really does. Also, this kind of looks just like an Instagram feed. Yeah, it really does, right? Yeah. Just, uh, it's horizontal instead of uh, vertical. Yeah, but I imagine, like, this is what, like, my life that flashes before my eyes before I die is just, like, my Instagram feed. Yeah. Get so many likes. <laughs> <laughs> so many dog photos. <laughs> uh, let's see. Emma finds a recent memory of Bob talking in the cave to Iron Man and Calf. His wife, Lindy, and the comic mm -hmm. author, Paul Jenkins, who created him. They keep looking at the panel of his of his life and find a square that's completely black something they're not supposed to see emma fights to reveal it and bob screams his eyes turn blue and he grasps his ears finally the black square becomes clear and emma recognizes a mutant named jason wingard aka mastermind someone she used to run around with in her villainous days on the hellfire club this dude is a super powerful telepath who can straight up project a simulative reality on people's minds he's talking to someone who is still shrouded in darkness Quote, not only will he never remember the century, says Mastermind, but he'll make it so no one remembers the century, and he won't even know he's doing it. He will be so scared to use his powers, he'll think the world will be attacked by the devil if he does. The dude he's talking to is ecstatic, saying this is better than he could have hoped for. Mastermind tells him, yeah, but man, like, no one's gonna remember you beat him. No one's gonna know. You might not even remember beating him. It doesn't matter, the figure says. I did it. That's all that matters. This is a complete and total defeat, the kind no hero before him has ever been handed, mentally and physically. I don't need people to know this is good enough. Bob, in the presence of Emma, is freaking out, saying, you had no right! And as he runs away, he leaves Emma alone, stranded in his mind and his subconscious. Back in the real world, the Lovecraftian-like monster is batting down on the shield, protecting Emma and Bob and Reed, uh, trying to free Bob and shouting, you had no right, repeating the same words as Bob. This is how we know, we are confirmed that Bob and the Void are the same thing. I mean, it's heavily hinted prior to that. Heavily hinted, but this is like the final confirmation. I personally felt like I needed, where I'm like, okay, this is the actual story, like this isn't a twist. Because sometimes you're like, well, you could make it seem like that's the case. Well, I mean, this comic made it seem like the century's been around since the fucking 60s. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got my guard up. You know, I'm, like, waiting for them to throw another another wrench into things. I mean, maybe he has been. Maybe he has been. We'll, we'll never know. They've changed it all the time. Yeah. 
That's uh, like me when I tell you that you agreed to things that you don't remember. Yeah, I would love that type of cabinet in the kitchen. That sounds great. It looks fantastic. It does. New Avengers number 10 came out September 21st, 2005. Uh, I believe you were finally a freshman in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. Hell yes. I was... Uh, freshman year was not... Not my best moment. Oh, man. I fucking loved high school. I, I, I had a great high school career. Uh, career. Sophomore year through senior year. Great. Yeah. Freshman year, I was still very awkward. Very, very awkward. Gotcha. Not that I'm not awkward now, but, like, I feel like I've grown into it. More of a focused awkward. A, a controlled awkward. Yeah, like, I was, like, a theater nerd, but also, like... I had been a cheerleader. Very complicated. That's a, There's a lot going on there. There was a lot. And I was, like, very smart for Palmerton, Pennsylvania. Sure. Which I learned was, like, not very smart for the rest of the world. You're a lawyer. I think, <laughs> I think you're doing okay. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, but it, there was a lot going on. I was still uh, figuring out who I was. Yeah, Braille, you were fucking 14. I hope you were still figuring out who you were. Who knows who they are at 14? That's ridiculous. I'm just saying, it was an awkward time. Okay, all right. An awkward time to be Aaliyah. All right. Thanks for taking my fun anecdote and making it not fun. <laughs> what was your fun anecdote? Oh, it's 2005. You just started high school. It must have been great. It's like, no! <laughs> it was real weird. Okay. <laughs> Puberty man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, you didn't have an awkward phase? Uh, I, I'm still in my awkward phase. <laughs> On the S.H.I.E.L.D. Helicarrier, writer Paul Jenkins is talking to Lindy and asking all sorts of questions she doesn't know the answer to, and frankly, wouldn't answer if she did. Really nerdy writer metaphysical shit, like, how did he do this? Why would he tell the world about himself in a comic book? How did he project you into my brain, too? Yada, 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 when she immediately goes limp and crashes into the table. It turns out... Oh, sorry. <laughs> it looks like the way it's drawn... You can't tell if she, like, falls onto the table or if she's like, I need to get out of this conversation so badly, I'm going to, I'm like, just gonna pretend. fling myself <laughs> onto this table and knock myself out. Yeah, it's kind of like how I pretended to be asleep on the bus, uh, like, coming home, so, like, I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. And you wouldn't have to give up your seat to old people? That is not why I did it. It's not. Okay. It, you can't acknowledge crazy on the bus, Aaliyah. <laughs> You didn't take the bus a lot in San Francisco. You cannot, you cannot acknowledge it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you you can't tell if it's, I mean, until later on when you see that. Yeah, what happened. Yeah. What happens. Uh, it kind of just looks like she's like, oh, please, I can't deal with this fucking conversation. And just like pretends to knock herself out. Yeah, just peace out. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, which like I've done with guys at bars. like. Yeah, you just pretended to fall asleep and just <laughs> crash into the bar. <laughs> no, I just like. I'm usually really interested in what's on TV if it's a sports thing. And I'm just like, I can't talk to you. The Red Sox are playing right now. That's how I got into the NBA. Like, I always like the Celtics. But, like, I remember just, like, hearing a friend tell a story for, like, the 8 millionth time. And you're like, and, and, and they were like, well, you, did you hear what I said? I'm like, oh, sorry. No, I'm just, like, really into this uh, Rockets game right now. Like, Yao Ming, right? Am I right? <laughs> totally. I didn't care about the Houston Rockets. Uh, it turns out. Emma hijacked Lindy's subconscious and brought it to meet her in Bob's subconscious because shit is not going well. The Void is kicking the crap out of everyone and Emma is desperate. Emma asks to borrow a shared memory of Bob and Lindy to try and coax Bob's subconscious out of hiding and Lindy is beside herself. 
saying, you yanked my entire brain out of my body, but you're asking permission to borrow a memory? Just do whatever you have to do. This has to stop. I mean, there are so many times I wish I could even, like, get your attention while you're listening to something on your headphones. If I could just, like, yank your subconscious, that'd be so sweet. Yeah, but then I would miss what I was listening to on my fantasy football podcast. Oh, like you can't rewind 20 seconds? We see a memory of Bob and Lindy <laughs> on a moonlit beach. Bob comes out of hiding in his subconscious uh, to say that it was their third date and that's when they fell in love. He says he's so embarrassed with what he's done to her and her life. And Emma tells him plainly, you didn't do this. This was done to you. A bad guy did a bad thing to you. Can't help how I feel, Bob says. Actually, you can, replies Emma. You can stop this. And for the first time ever, Bob looks confident and assured of what he has to do. Outside, the Avengers are struggling against the Void when all of a sudden it stops dead in its tracks. Bob and Emma are talking about the General, the dude who paid Mastermind to fuck with Bob. Emma tells Bob about her days working with Mastermind back in the Hellfire Club and said she understands his powers better than he did. He wasn't really a psychic, but he could implant a psychic virus in people and let that bug grow. She makes him feel better, saying mutants have to spend years training to protect themselves from this kind of attack, and he shouldn't feel bad. He was fighting it the entire time, whenever he had a lucid moment, and that the comic books were actually a record of things he had done and people he was friends with. They were his diary, basically. Him putting that out, projecting it into the world. He wants to make the world remember who he is, but Emma puts the kibosh on that. She says it's forgivable that he made the world forget him when he didn't know he was doing it, but to mess with the world and make them remember him on purpose is violating them, which he 100% agrees with. I'll be starting from scratch, he asks. With superpowers, a wife who loves you. She'll know the truth. Reed Richards will remember. He's the guy with all your secrets. Bob, I tell you, I swear to God, there's been at least three distinct times in my life I would have paid big money to get to do what you're going to do now. Enter the world fresh, smarter for having lived through what you've lived through, but with a clean slate. And you'll be an Avenger. I will, Bob asks. Let them tell you, Emma responds. The Avengers, X-Men, Inhumans, Fantastic Four, and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are all picking themselves up, but nobody's mad, not even a little bit. Bob is shocked that they want him to be an Avenger, and Tony tells him why, saying, quote, First of all, you're not the first person who has needed a second chance, or help from your peers, or has screwed up. Listen, we've had other people in our family who have not been able to control their powers or find out who they were, and we failed them because we didn't reach out when we should have. Emma tells him she's going to unlock his entire memory. Everything is going to hit him all at once, good and bad. Conflicting thoughts and emotions. And that he's going to feel like he took the biggest dump in his life. And uh, this was done, like, her actual words were biggest dump. I didn't just add that in there. <laughs> uh, I think this is a super cool two-page spread um, where the panels get smaller to show time passing faster. And so Aliyah's got the page open right now. Like, the first panel in the upper left corner, uh, super big, actually goes across the page. And then things keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller uh, just to show like it, it's almost like that's uh, like we found love music video. Like when uh, Rihanna drops the I assume it's ecstasy. Maybe, maybe acid. Yeah. Who's, who's to say. But like it does that. And then like you just like see like her eye explode. Like it, it's very much like that sort of vibes in the art. Uh, and then the next page in a full uh, page splash. 
Bob is reborn as the Sentry, the golden guardian of good. He's jacked, he's cleaned up, and he looks good as hell. Lindy and Bob are reunited with a really cute moment, and Jarvis calls Iron Man to tell him something has happened to Avengers Tower. The whole team flies back to Manhattan, and they see this weird, almost xenogothic structure on top of Avengers Tower. It's super gothic, but it looks alien. I don't know if xenogothic is a word, but I'm calling it right now. It is a xenogothic building. And it turns out that this was Bob's watchtower from his old life. Bob goes in by himself uh, to rediscover who he really is. Later, Iron Man is meeting again with Doctor Strange, Reed, Namor, Professor X, and Black Bolt, the Illuminati, saying that the Avengers are ready to take responsibility for Bob. Namor is a dick because he's always a dick. (laughs) And says to call them if shit goes sideways. Just as their meeting is wrapping up, Reed asks about the Savage Land from the first six issues of New Avengers. Tony plays it off like it's no big deal. Just saying, eh, the usual. Alright. Namor? Is that his name? Namor, yeah. Namor. Sorry, I keep wanting to say Nomar. Actually, no, that's fair. I it's you know how you always correct me whenever I say like Kara on on Supergirl? Yeah. Or, or I say Kara. It's Kara. It's Kara. I, I say Kara. It's because I... Don't know. I've only read the name. You know, it's so like, I always say Namor because that's how I've been reading it. I have no idea if his name is Namor or Namor. Like, I don't actually know the pronunciation, but it's just how I've been doing it. Sorry, I'm just keeping it Noma. Noma. Where are you fucking going, Noma? Uh, just anyone with that deep of a V has to be an asshole. Oh, yeah. His costume, it's basically just shoulder pads. And, like, the chest is cut out, and it's just the deepest V-neck possible. It goes all the way down to, like, past his treasure trail, which, of course, is shaved because he's a swimmer. And uh, just, like, goes into his underwear. It is a ridiculous costume that I fucking love. I bought the Marvel Legends figure of this costume because I think it is ridiculous. He looks like a 70s, like, someone who was, like, kicked out of ABBA. Like, that's what he looks oh, like. Oh, God. Yeah. I found your Halloween costume this year. No, I'm not doing that. It's, it's We live in Maine. It's too cold to dress like that <laughs> for Halloween. Um, I do want to jump back to the sweet moment between Lindy and Bob. Yeah. Where he keeps trying to apologize for what happened. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm not mad. Which usually with women like means they are mad. Sure, but yeah. I actually believe her here. Because mm-hmm. uh, he tries to apologize again, and she's like, no, save it for when I am mad. And I just think that's, like, a really sweet... Very, very sweet. Very realistic moment of, like, yo, I know this one's not your fault. Like, save it to, like, when you fuck up, and then you can apologize and be sweet to me. Yeah. When you need it. Yeah, she's just so happy to, like, see him. Like, to have, like, their life back. That, like, she doesn't care how hard it was, but the fact that they got it back, that's what she cares about. Yeah. Uh, which is very sweet. I feel like she's a good, she's a good ride or die. Yeah. Also, can I say the thing is like one of my favorites. I think he's adorable. Oh, he's great. He's one of my favorites too. Is he in the rest of this story? No, he's pretty. Uh, he's pretty much just uh, sticking to Fantastic Four. Uh, one of my favorite characters, though. He's just like this really sweet guy. He seems like a big teddy bear. Yeah, he really is. I really like the current volume of Fantastic Four. I think it's super fun. He actually got married to his longtime, like, on-again, off-again girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Really sweet stuff. And he's Jewish, so he actually got to, like, break the glass and everything. Like, it was just, like, a really nice moment. Uh, one of my favorite characters. Also, like, every action figure of the thing is just fucking awesome. They're just really cool toys, so. Yeah, I really like him. I remember from the Fantastic Four movies, that was, like, my favorite part. Yeah, no, he's great. Um, 
Aaliyah, that was your first ever comic story. What did you think? How are we feeling? I really liked it. Yeah? I still feel like I have more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, like, is great for Marvel because I want to keep reading. Okay. Uh, great for you because I know you want me to keep reading. I think it would be interesting <laughs> to just have some have someone fresh talk about this. Because, like, I read this story when I was 15. I thought it was fucking awesome. I'm rereading it now as a 31-year-old. I think it's still pretty good. I don't think it's as awesome as when I was 15, just like, thinking it was, like, the most mind-blowing shit that was coming out every month. Well, I mean, I'm still basically 15, so it's, like, a younger view that I have reading uh, this. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am 30. I can't read the font. It's too small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need the bright lights. I don't know what you want from me. I can't read this in bed. It's too dark. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I am a fan. Okay. I definitely want to go back and read the first six issues. Yeah. And continue reading. I don't know how many more. This Avengers volume has, I think, two annuals. That's two additional issues. It has a finale special and then 55 issues in the regular series. So that's like roughly five years worth of comics. Okay. See, I'm just really glad I have you as like a reference because I know jack shit about comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're a great guide. And yeah. I appreciate your wealth of knowledge. I would love to Sherpa you through this. In fact, I don't have anyone who's ever come on for a new Avengers episode. So I'm extending it to you first. Would you like to be the new Avengers correspondent for a short box summary? Can I get like a shirt made? I yeah, I'll I'll talk to people. I'll try to get a plaque for your office. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Um only if Tuna can come on as a guest. Yeah. Again. Yeah. He's he's got to. <laughs> he's so loud all the time how does such a little dog make so much noise like 12 pounds yeah don't, so loud. don't get it god he's so cute um all right cool so i am happy to hear that you had a good positive experience with your first comic book that's awesome that's what i like to hear i mean there's still some issues that i have misogyny sexist portrayal of women in comic books in general, which I could go on and on and on about. Yeah, and I guess, like, the, the argument I always hear about that is, like, oh, well, the men are wearing really tight costumes, too. And, like, I think I probably made that argument, too, when I was 20. Like, I'm like, these are, like, unrealistic expectations of, of like, men's bodies. I'm older now, and, like, I understand now, like, it's not the fucking same. Can you see the outline of their balls through their suit? Uh, no. You can't. Okay. They don't usually draw bulge. Because you can, like, literally see Spider-Woman's butt crack. Yeah, I feel like her doctor right now, looking at the picture you have up, I'm just like, ugh. Like, yeah. she's basically naked, and it's just colored in like it's yeah, a suit. Yeah, I just painted on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like a latex painted on suit. Yeah. Um, which, I don't think there's really, like, a need for other than, like... The male gaze. Yes. Yes. Laura, Laura Moldy, yeah. Um, which, like, I understand probably help to sell comic books and tell the story and make you know characters popular because they were so attractive Mm -hmm. um i just think uh there's more to women than their bodies yeah that's that's completely fair um and just i mean spider woman was a big part of this and emma frost was a big part of this and i think more so with emma 
it was like less about how she looked and more about her abilities, which I appreciated. It was just funny because she's wearing so much less clothing than Spider Woman is. Yeah, she's basically just wearing. She's got like a weird cape and then like a <laughs> bikini top and then like white pants. Yeah, weird look. Yeah, and I mean, aside from Namor. All the men seem to be, like, pretty well covered. I guess Luke Cage is, is pretty... Yeah, he's just wearing, like, a super tight shirt. Which, I mean, Luke Cage in this art especially looks like uh, Derek Morgan from Criminal Minds. Okay, all right. Uh, which I don't hate. Okay. To uh, flip the switch yeah. on that one. To... That's Oh, shit. That's actually something we forgot to mention about at the top. Uh, this book was written by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, chief architect of this era of Marvel. And it was drawn by Steve McNiven, an artist I really like and who actually kicked so much ass on this book and actually had a really good Fantastic Four run as well over at Marvel Knights 4, that he became the artist for Civil War, which is not the next event we're going to talk about, but the event afterwards we're going to talk about. And so, Leah, you said you really want to know the story. This is how things get complicated, and that's why I want to do a podcast about this era, because it's really hard to follow individual books at this time. And that's because we're about to talk about House of M, which is like the first big crossover event of the mid-2000s for Marvel. But they start sort of annualizing big events after that, where it's like... What does that mean? So, like, imagine a series called, like, House of M. And then there's all... Every single book in the Marvel Universe is affected by what's going on in House of M. So, like, Captain America issue number 10 has nothing to do with the Captain America story. It has to do with Captain America in relation to House of M. So this is, like, a crossover with television shows. Basically, yes. However, to varying degrees, like, some, like, I think TV shows, way more important. Okay. Than it's done in a lot of comics. But also, it's just, like, it's kind of like the main status quo, like, the, the temperature of Marvel is reset in these events, right? Where House of M happens, big shit happens for the X-Men. And then that affects every other book. And then things go on, things go on, things go on. Then Civil War happens. And then that really shakes everything up. And like all the the ripples and the effects of the cause that was the event happens out in these individual books. So you can absolutely read New Avengers. You can mostly understand what's going on. But in addition to, to New Avengers, I think you have to read the events to, like, really understand, like... The context. Yeah, of, of those tie-in issues. Okay. And so this is when it happened that, like, there was an event every 14 months, basically. Uh, which is kind of, like, a genius, like, marketing yeah. tool. Yeah, yeah, it, it got a lot of money out of Teenage George, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I mean, that's not, like, really hard to do. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I didn't put up much of a fight. It's not hard to do out of adult George. You now live in Maine. Imagine, like, what like what else is there to do besides go to Ellsworth and buy comics? Uh, we live in a national park. Yeah, but it's winter eight months a year, so, like, that's rough. Okay, but it's still beautiful. Yeah. It's also still, like, 12 degrees. That's also true. Yeah. Um, but no, I get it. Uh, I definitely really appreciated reading again yeah uh because i haven't actually sat down and read a book because i read so much for my job uh, that like reading for pleasure was a pleasant surprise okay that's nice welcome back hey thanks yeah i am kind of jealous that you've been doing this for so long and you've had that kind of outlet 
It is really nice. I love just like losing myself in these stories, just because like all these characters are so big and crazy, and they deal with like these really just like big concepts and like of various depths. You know, just like discussing heroism, discussing loss, and all this stuff. And it's nice to get uh, very weird perspectives in certain contexts of these heroes, but uh, they never forget to bring like the humanity to those things. And so, like this, I think, despite being about ostensibly Superman. Uh, a very human story about someone who, like, lost himself, you know, and, like, wants the world to, like, remember, like, wants to, like, reintroduce himself to his friends. Like, I think there's something, like, really beautiful and, and simple about that story, despite there being weird Cthulhu monsters coming from different <laughs> dimensions that were actually this person fighting from his deeper subconscious. You know, like, it, it gets weird and convoluted in the details, but, like, the actual nugget of the story is very sweet. And I feel like it kind of goes back to what I feel like comics are about that I don't have confirmation about that just like good will prevail over evil yeah uh which I feel like is like kind of the backbone of superheroes yeah in general yeah um and so it's just that kind of like no matter how hard it gets the good guys are always gonna win yeah, it's lowercase p politics, right? Where it's, like, talking about this ideology. And it's mm -hmm. almost propaganda, but, like, it feels weird and disingenuous calling it propaganda because, like, you agree with the message, you know? And, like, that's the only reason where you're like, oh, well, like, the bad guy lost. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. And that's why it is propaganda. That's why it is ideological. And that's why it is political. And, like, there's just no escaping that. Like, every, every fucking thing in your life is political. I don't know how to explain that to people, but, like, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like when when it agrees with your politics, it's like not a problem. In, less identifiable, yeah. as political, it's just like oh well, I relate to this. I my values align with these values, mm -hmm. um, and I feel like you don't see that as political, but it is. Yeah, but knock knock, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that about wraps us up. Aaliyah, do you want people to to find you on on socials or anything? Sure. Um, at Aaliyah413. On Twitter? On Twitter. Okay. At Aaliyah413 on Instagram if you want to see pictures of the dogs. Yeah. Um, I have private profiles because I have a professional life that I like to keep separate from my... Very smart. I get that. Yeah. Private life. Um, but George references me a lot, so I'm sure you'll be able to find me. Yeah. Yeah, you will. Uh, you can also follow the show at PurpleBird616 on Twitter. I do not have an Instagram. Sorry. Um, please follow the show. Please like the show on, on your podcast service of choice. Please rate the show if you can on your podcast service of choice. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Everything helps get this show in front of more people. And the more people we have on the show, the more guests we can have on. I love having Aaliyah here. I love having Fabio. I love having Sean. I love having Marty and Aaron and Kyle. I love all the regulars. But man, it was so much fun interviewing Sean McKeever. And I would love to interview more professional uh, comic books uh, sorry, comic book writers and editors and artists. God, that would be so cool. So please help me blow this thing up so we can get it in front of the people who can come on and make the show incredibly detailed the way I want it to be. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. I'm not entirely sure what the story is going to be. So get ready for a surprise next week on Shortbox Summary. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Hell Hydra.